Hello and welcome to the Successful Farming Podcast. My name is Jason Meeker. I'm the host of the podcast. In this edition of the podcast, we're going to be hearing from Bruce Rastetter. He's the CEO of Summit Agricultural Group. He's also the president of the Iowa Board of, Board of Regents. He is has been an agricultural advisor to Donald Trump and has good insight on a lot of issues. He's going to be talking to Mike McGinnis, who's the markets editor for Successful Farming. They're going to get into some diversification strategies, water quality issues, ethanol, a whole bunch of different topics that they'll be they'll be touching on. So um, we hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can email the show by emailing podcast at agriculture.com. You can also see previous episodes if you go to www.agriculture.com slash radio and you can find more information about this episode and other episodes. So now let's go to Mike and Bruce Rastetter. We're here today with Bruce Rastetter, the CEO and founder of Summit Ag Group. And uh, of course, a lot of folks uh, I'm sure have uh, seen and heard of your name because of the uh, uh, latest activity with, with the Trump administration and you being on the Ag Advisory Committee. But we want to, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit, but uh, let's start by finding out your background a little bit. Bruce, if you could give us a feel for, you know, uh, what I really know about you is you were once a pretty pretty big hog producer. Uh, <laughs> I was raised on a hog farm myself, so that's one of my uh, interests in, in life. But uh, give us a feel for your uh, upbringing and your ag background. Yeah, my, my background, and uh, it's, it's great to be with you, uh, Mike. Uh, my background is I grew up on a 320-acre farm uh, south of Alden, Iowa. Uh, it's near Iowa Falls. Uh, uh, one of five kids, typical Iowa, small farm, raised, had 40 sows and uh, uh, 20 cows and uh, farmed the 320 acres, corn, soybeans, alfalfa. And so I always wanted to be a lawyer, went to University of Iowa after going to Ellsworth uh, Community College and uh, decided after graduating Iowa and starting law school, I didn't want to do that, came back, got involved in ag. That evolved into selling feed uh, for Mormon manufacturing, kind of the time Iowa was changing. Uh, began uh, contract feeding after that, created a management company, and then in 1994 merged uh, those companies and a construction company that I worked with my brother on into Heartland Pork. I received an equity investment. We grew to 1.2 million pigs a year in 1998. A lot of hog farmers remember that when hogs went to nine cents. Uh, we were producing about 1.2 million of them at the time, so it wasn't much fun uh, surviving through that. And uh, sold the company, uh, Heartland Pork, to Christensen Farms in 2004. And they we were the 13th largest pork producer. They became then the country's third largest pork producer with the combination. Uh, worked with that same investment bank to build an ethanol company, uh, built a 50 million gallon plant in Iowa Falls, uh, raised additional capital to double that plant, build a 100 million gallon plant in Fairbank, Iowa, uh, sold the company in 2006 to a large investment bank, Thomas H. Lee. I stayed on as CEO. We built two more large scale plants to become the country's third largest ethanol producer. Uh, separately, I've always had a farming group called Summit Agricultural Group. 
farms were typical corn, soybeans. Uh, we also do some private equity work on a couple of U.S. land funds, other projects. Uh, Iowa Premium Beef Project in Tama is one that uh, we've helped shepherd, uh, that Cisco is part of, uh, uh, utilizing high-quality beef. It, today, it's the only beef plant open in Iowa, and we feel good about that and, uh, and where that plant is at and continuing to grow. But also a couple of projects in Brazil, a land fund in Brazil, as well as corn, we're building uh, Brazil's first modern corn ethanol plant in Lucas Rio Diverge, one of the boom ag towns of Mato Grosso. So we do the farming side, production ag. I think that keeps us grounded. And then we also do the private equity group with individuals around the country, kind of half from the Midwest, half from New York, uh, but a, a way for those individuals to invest in the fund that invests in farm ground. Uh, I would say that's diversification on steroids. <laughs> well, it's uh, in agriculture. You know, I, I think what we try to do, whether it's farmland, the hogs, and ethanol, is kind of stick to what we know, or have relationships. And I think I've been really fortunate uh, to have some of the great relationships in ag. You, you work hard at it. You try to sort through them. Work with honest people. And so, whether it's seed, or whether it's chemicals, or whether it's uh, ethanol. ICM that built our ethanol plants in the U.S. went with us to Brazil. So they're providing the engineering, the wrap, so we know the plan will work. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they, they've got a bunch of them, 120 that they've been part of in the U.S. So I think it's those kind of relationships with really honest people, have a good group, uh, kind of on the second generation at Summit. I want to continue working. And so as people retire, we've got a bright, bunch of bright young people that are challenged to keep up with as we do things. We're going to continue to try and do a variety of projects and also make an impact on ag policy because mm-hmm. I think it's really important. And growing up on a small farm, whether it's exports, whether it's profitability, whether it's environment, like to hunt, conservation is important, water quality is important. So we try to do a variety of those things as well uh, to set hopefully a positive example. Well, we're going to get to the uh, ag policy in just a moment, also the international efforts uh, that you have within your company. Let's stay in the States for a few minutes and uh, talk uh, first off about diversity. You, you've, you've been able to do it. There is some discussion in today's environment that uh, if far, grain farmers were more diversified, maybe they could uh, digest or take on some of the pressures that the commodity markets are giving them uh, and survive in this uh, low commodity price environment with a cattle operation or maybe some hogs. But there are others that say, well, well if the grain market isn't working, the cattle profits are, and the hog profits haven't been very good either. Why would you want to add on another thing that doesn't work? So where do you stand with diversification? Yeah, I think that becomes a challenge. I think uh, diversity, uh, uh, it really depends upon how you do it. And so, for instance, uh, you know, when, when we raised a lot of pigs, owning a million pigs at nine cent hogs isn't much fun. Mm-hmm. And it's all relative to you to your net worth at the time or the capital you raise for those projects. So I think one of the good things that we've seen in our operation is that is contract hog buildings where we don't have production risk, uh, where those buildings build up equity, 
Uh, there's, there's some cash throw off from them. And also they provide the manure to substitute for commercial fertilizer. And so there's a benefit there. So I think diversity, if, you, if it's just adding more risk, you're right. But diversity on buildings that have a cash flow stream that don't have the quantity risks are important. And I think corn soybeans, I, I, we focused in the last year uh, trying to lower our costs. Uh, I would say two years ago, we weren't a low cost producer. And I think larger organizations, if you overlay technology, oftentimes it just adds per acre cost or you're not competitive on buying things. And we've tried to, to work with people to make sure that, you know, our farm managers and also an agronomist. So we make sure that we're not just outsourcing, you know, checking on and crop scouting for weeds and at, that's overlaying costs. Make sure we're competitive on the cash rent. Make sure we're keeping up. Uh, one of our projects is uh, is double 20 uh, corn. And so high population corn with stein. So I think you have to be innovative, but you've got to be careful that diversity like cattle production, we're feeding some cattle. Hadn't been much fun in the last year. Mm -hmm. So if you lose money on corn and you lose money on, on cattle production, you know, you lose them both. Yeah. So that, that, that diversity doesn't help. So I, I think having some risk management programs with that, but diversity is important rather than just a single approach. We're visiting with Bruce Rastetter, again, uh, the CEO and founder of Summit Ag Group. And we're uh, actually sitting down on the sidelines of the Land Investment Expo this year's event in West Des Moines, Iowa. And uh, one of the speakers, Bruce, uh, has already addressed the crowd with this idea that we need to get more cover crops or more uh, more choices of crops in Iowa. What What is the likelihood of that? I grew up in Iowa myself, know a lot of farmers, talk to a lot of farmers, much like yourself, that, you know, if unless they can make any money doing it, they're gonna keep planting corn and soybeans. You know, I, I think ever since uh, we were kids, there's been a talk about it'd be great if there was a third crop uh, that wasn't corn, soybeans that offered diversity on, on that. And there's there's some smaller niche crops that, that people are doing. But, you know, we plant some cover crops on ground that we chop silage on. So winter rye, uh, tretichale. And, uh, you know, it's challenging in, in our environment where when you plant it, if it doesn't rain right away, you have trouble with the germination in the fall, and oftentimes we get dry falls. But we've also seen a couple of years ago with the early spring with the tretichale, we're able to harvest it early, we're able to chop it, put it in the, the bunker, and then still plant soybeans, there were 60 bushel soybeans. I think that there is a place for it, you know, and in particular, one of the ways we're going to improve water quality is having more winter rye planted so that you hold that soil so you don't have that leaching of nutrients like you normally do uh, in the spring. And also there's a way that we can add, add more uh, tilth to the soil with that uh, on yield increases. But I think until you have enough farmers planted, you're not gonna have the genetic improvement also uh, to make it make sense. And so, you know, I think programs out there on water quality you know, the state needs to take that into account because it is the single best way we can deal with water quality issues by having a cover crop. But it's, it's expensive to do and you'd need to do it in a large enough scale if you're a farmer to be able to harvest your own seed to help lower that cost. You need genetic improvement in the seed. So I think, you know, it, it's a complex thing and it's going to take a variety of efforts uh, by the industry and, and it's going to take a commitment by farmers on conservation to make it happen. 
Again, on this issue of the Successful Farming uh, Podcast, we're visiting with Bruce Rastetter, the CEO and founder of Summit Ag Group. Let's do a lightning round uh, with the hottest issues uh, okay. right now that seem to be out there that a lot of folks are talking about. I know you've talked with others, uh, probably some, some big leaders uh, on these fronts uh, with water quality, uh, uh, ethanol, and the whole the whole energy and where, where ethanol may be going. And uh, I'll think of some others as well. Let's, okay. let's start with water quality. Yeah, water quality. I think one of the important things about the Trump administration is, is, is stopping the EPA and waters of the U.S. And while we need to deal with it, their approach in a bureaucratic government approach is top down isn't going to change the situation. It's only going to increase costs and not improve water quality. So pulling back that regulation is going to be important. Now, do you think that uh, the U.S. the the well specifically the Iowa farmers because that they seem to be in the bullseye of the issue right now. Uh, is this going to set precedent for the rest of the country, what happens here in Iowa? You know, I think that's why the Des Moines Waterworks uh, suit was, one, so unfortunate that it happened, uh, that people couldn't get together and improve water quality without being sued. Two, it was an ill-founded suit, as recently the Supreme Court uh, pointed out, on trying to sue drainage districts to stop tile intakes rather than deal with the root of the problem, which the, the court threw out recently. So I think... You know, clearly we see it on farms today that farmers need to do more. We have filter strips on every dredge ditch, every creek that we have, and it typically ends oftentimes at that fence line. They were Their programs hit two years ago, we enrolled and it paid $370 an acre. We can't raise corn soybeans on it and uh, pay 370 bucks an acre cash rent. So, you know, I think farmers need to start doing more things voluntarily or we're going to see more lawsuits. We're going to see challenges. And so there's more that we can do. There's more things we should do. And I think a conservation plan, the 2018 farm bill ought to tie some of those things together on farm payments or direct payments with conservation practices. Haven't done that in the past. Uh, but clearly, if there's going to be cash payments and the government doesn't have money, it's important that we think about that. You think it's also important for farmers, I think public image-wise, when that uh, judgment was released just recently about the Des Moines Waterworks, that many folks think that it's, okay, that's, it's over. The issue is over, but that's not that's not the case at all. Yeah, the issue is not over, and uh, it may be one lawsuit away or maybe an election cycle away from not being over. So I think there needs to be thoughtful, smart people get together and say we can do more because we can. And if you go out and you look at some of the damage being done on lack of uh, waterways, lack of filter strips, uh, shortage of of uh, cover crops like what we just talked and also fall and hydrous application oftentimes before the temperature goes low enough uh, so that you don't have leaching you know all those things are pretty critical but also technology will help us solve it and, you know multiple uh, nitrogen applications with the technology we have today at the time that the crop is growing and needing it you know all those things are happening and so I think profitability in agriculture will help solve it but it's also a mindset that it's important we not think we won because that lawsuit got dismissed when we still know we have water quality issues going on. Let's uh, move on to another uh, hot topic that seems to be out there, and that's the ethanol industry. On a weekly basis, we're producing record amounts of uh, ethanol here in the U.S. We have uh, real good users of, of the products coming out of the back end of the ethanol plants, DDGs. 
uh, I'm reading uh, an understanding that the the profits aren't necessarily that great for the ethanol plants right now. Some believe it's a runaway freight train that uh, the inventories are building and uh, we're, we're not going to be using enough and we'll have a backup of ethanol to now that's it when you get inside the numbers now you're you're in the you're obviously in the know in the ethanol industry you have the concern of what the Trump administration is going to do with the uh, RFS um, what wh where do you see ethanol going yeah, I think a, a number of us and uh, had have uh, one feel good about President Trump's support of ethanol he uh, has been in an ethanol plant understands it has made the commitment on the RFS that he believes is important to keep because it's market access. So I think that part of it is is solid and he's going to continue to support it, but we need more blending. And I think all the blender pumps that are going out there, the movement to E15 is critical to have that support to continue to grow that, or we're going to be looking down the pipe at a two and a half billion bushel carryout next year, sub $3 corn, We've got to blend it, we've got to blend higher rates, and but also we've got to export it. And this year the U.S. will have exported 500 million gallons to Brazil. So it isn't filling up in the tanks. The concern is if that export shut off or we're also exporting it to Europe. And so I think plants will continue to program themselves for that. And also there's decent margins now going on in the industry, but that can always set back. But we've also had a bump up in oil prices, and we'll probably continue to see some stability there uh, with, with the price of oil. So, But the critical component is more blending, because uh, farmers have responded with the investments to produce a mountain of corn. So we better figure out what we're going to do with it. President Trump in his uh, cabinet has a number of uh, members that, are, uh, that have their toes, their feet, or their hands, or both, in the uh, oil industry. And so when you look at that on the face of it, are they going to be supporters of the ethanol industry when they're deep into the oil industry? Well, I think that that's a question that was, that's been asked the last eight years as well. And when we had an EPA that, uh, that was challenging on, on not dealing with increased blending and, uh, you know, you've got Rick Perry at uh, the Energy Department, you've got Scott Pruitt, uh, soon to be uh, EPA administrator. And uh, I think Scott Pruitt and what what President Trump has told a variety of us is that he uh, he understands Trump's position on ethanol. He gets it. There's a variety of things that are important to do at the EPA that uh, that will help farmers on, on regulation and government paperwork. Uh, but beyond that, we need to make sure that people step up, help educate Sonny Purdue. I think he understands ethanol. He raises corn soybeans. He's going to be a friend on ethanol. So spending time getting him here to Iowa, understanding the importance of it for the whole country and the importance for agriculture. It's created uh, the opportunity that we all know today uh, in, in with that 10% blending. So we can't let that slip back. So we need to be really vigilant with it and do what we normally do and making sure the industry is efficient, make sure that it's acceptable into the marketplace, that the fleet of cars is there to blend it and burn it at, at higher levels, and, and that's happening. Again, we're visiting today with Bruce Rastetter, the CEO and founder of Summit Ag Group, and uh, of course a longtime uh, uh, farmer and very involved in agriculture. I know I'm jumping around a little bit here, but I want to hit, I want to ask you if, before we're done here about the uh, experience on the Ag Advisory Committee. Uh, 
uh, of President Trump. What was that like? What what were you asked to do? And uh, you know what? what, 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 you, what well, I think what what we were asked to do is one, uh, you know, be advocates for agriculture in particular, or around the country, the different people involved in in their perspective of what's important, uh, not just for their state, but for U.S. agriculture exports. You know, the global basis that technology from here you know, makes an impact around the world. So I think a variety of people uh, weighed in. Uh, I think you'll continue to see that group be active in supporting uh, soon-to-be Secretary Purdue on those initiatives and talking about trade. You know, for, for the group, that I mean, it's critical. Uh, we export 25% of our pork. Uh, we significant amount of beef and corn soybeans uh, to China and elsewhere, and also making sure that it's fair trade. I think that that group will continue to play a role going forward. We had weekly calls. We're going to continue to stay active. I think you'll see uh, some of us suggest that we ought to have an ag summit around uh, policy uh, concerning trade, concerning regulation, concerning the 2018 Farm Bill. So you'll see that happen. I would think Des Moines would be a good location for that. Yeah, it would be. Now, do you know Sonny Perdue? Have you talked to anybody that does know him? Yeah, what I, have you been able to find out? You know, a variety of folks uh, know him. Sonny's been around a while. He's a senator. He's governor in Georgia. He's a veterinarian by background. So I think the animal agriculture industry ought to feel pretty good about that. He understands the science behind agriculture. I think oftentimes we've been challenged by the USDA's lack of concern about that on some of the more recent things that happened under Vilsack during the last year. So I think he, he's been a governor of Georgia, you know, it's a pretty diverse ag state, but he understands Midwest agriculture. And uh, frankly, I've heard that from Governor Branstad, who's a good friend of Sonny Purdue. And uh, I plan on, on seeing him over the next couple of weeks. We've communicated some and I uh, look forward to that. Okay. And what about the Farm Bill? Uh, as I understand it, they're going to get working on it and, uh, and, and come up with a uh, a farm bill uh, in 2018, the first time in 16 years, apparently they're going to be able to get it, work on it, get it done, and, and yeah. enact it. I, yeah, who knows that'll happen? But yeah, yeah wouldn't, wouldn't that actually be nice yeah, if that nice. happened? And uh, what you, you, had, you had a thoughtful it? approach to it. What, what I see is that, you know, I think for Iowa, the good news is we have Senator Grassley and Senator Ernst on the, on the Ag Committee. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're going to have significant say and and uh, their thoughtfulness and perspective of agriculture. Uh, Senator Grassley still comes back, gets on a tractor, uh, and lives on the farm. So uh, he they both get it on, on that. But I think, and that was one of the messages that I think Sonny Purdue uh, reached out to some of us on, that you know we're going to need to be thinking about that. And it's really important to be involved because you can actually pass a bill now and have impact on it on the variety of things that we talked about that are going to be really important so we deal with big issues now so we don't have to have as many lawsuits so we can have blending and we can return production ag to profitability uh, that we're going to need in a global market. So uh, look, looking forward to being part of that process. Uh, again, we're speaking with Bruce Rastetter, the CEO and founder of Summit Ag Group. And uh, we want to ask you to put your binoculars on now. Let's look into the future a little bit, and we'll first start with the uh, ag mergers. I was uh, visiting with an agri agrofinance, uh, Robo Agrofinance executive uh, a couple of years ago at the Commodity Classic. He said, don't worry about these ag mergers. Uh, you know, they're, they're going to be able to bundle these services now for farmers, and uh, it'll be a good thing for farmers. And I replied the last time that I bundled anything was my cable, my internet, and my phone, and all that, and it wasn't 
didn't turn out to be such a great thing for the for me as a customer with bundled services. I don't know if that's going to be the same with these ag mergers, but where do you stand on ag mergers? Yeah, I think, I don't know if you saw recently, we put out a statement uh, that that we and I oppose them. I think the Dow DuPont, uh, the Bayer-Monsanto agreement are, I understand why they want to do it. I understand why Monsanto wants to sell for a 40% premium. I understand why Hugh Grant went and, and uh, pleaded with Trump on uh, at Trump Tower on why it makes sense. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I love to see people make money, but at the end of the day, Bayer is not paying a 40% premium to sell products to farmers cheaper. And also, the fear that we should have is that you go from five companies to three companies in Syngenta and now the other two new ones, if it happened, that will control 73% of the corn, 91% of the cotton genetics, and 80% of the soybean genetics. And for one of the first times in the industry, they will be able to bundle services. They will be able to take chemicals and stack into the genetic gene of the corn plant, which they've done over time, but they will be, then be able to sell you both. And you will essentially end up with two choices. And I don't think that lack of competition has ever been beneficial for the average farmer. And I think it will lead to less innovation less competition and higher prices. And uh, so we've come out very clearly and very strongly and said it's wrong and also supporting Senator Grassley and the questions that he's asked and challenging the Justice Department to turn those down. Okay. And are you optimistic, speaking of the future, optimistic about uh, the, the future of agriculture and for those farmers, young farmers out there that are trying to decide whether to jump in or not. You know, I am. And, and just a, a statement back to the mergers. Part of the reason that they are moving towards that is because of the cost of approving new genetics at, at $150 million a pop, the long wait for China approval and around the world, the complexity of all that. So the issue is regulations more so that stifling innovation, trying to challenge those large companies to merge. Uh, and I would challenge anyone to say, how can small companies spend $150 million on an uncertain timetable of approval uh, from the government? So uh, in terms of optimism for small farmers, it, you know, if, if there's been a recent setback in, in land values, it's a good opportunity to buy farm ground. We're still going to go to 9 billion people on this planet. Uh, we've got that population growth happening quickly. We're doubling the need for food production because of the increase in protein demand. So I think one needs to think through what segment you want to have expertise in, what you want to focus on, how you network to get involved and, and not make the same mistakes that some of us made uh, in doing it. There's, there's great resources out there. There's people that want to share and be transparent about what they're doing. And it's a big global market, so there's real opportunity everywhere. If I was a young person wanted to be involved in technology, I'd also learn Portuguese. And I would spend time in the U.S. and I'd spend time in Brazil. You're optimistic with the agriculture in Brazil. I am. I think that when we look at uh, the void, that the demand in China, if it wouldn't be for Brazil's increase in production, the world would not have been able to fill that. And as we know, uh, Brazil has, with double cropping now in a number of areas, has the ability to, to dramatically increase food production. The U.S. still has great opportunity uh, to incrementally increase production on an acre-by-acre -acre basis, uh, increase more uh, protein. It's, it's easier to build here 
it's less bureaucratic, ho hopefully becoming less bureaucratic. But Brazil has welcomed U.S. technology, welcomed U.S. investment for a long time. So uh, I found it a good place. There's good people to work with. Like anywhere, you've got to sort through that and make sure you're working with honest, open people and who do business the right way. But uh, there's a great opportunity in that country to grow. Yeah, and good churrascarias. Yes. R real good steak and, restaurants. Uh, and they like to, they like to barbecue uh, meat. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, pork, bad, pork beef, and a lot of fish. Yeah, so that's, that's not great. Bad. Uh, I'll end, uh, Bruce, with this final question of uh, what's next for Bruce Rastetter? You've, you've, like I say, you've diversified on steroids yeah, here. What's, I mean, do you see yourself as the uh, seeking the uh, agriculture secretary position in yeah. Iowa? or? Yeah, no. I, I think... Uh, I think one. I, I think you're aware that I've been president of the board of regents for the past five five years. Uh, I get off the board in April, and so that's been a great experience with three public universities in Iowa: Iowa State University of Iowa and University of Northern Iowa. I think if if I would uh, have a pathway in addition to the business that we do that I really enjoy, and uh, we're looking at an ag fund to invest in in uh, manufacturing and in businesses that. Uh, that, that those opportunities and technology are there, but also on trying to impact the U.S. ag policy, and uh, want want to try to do what I can can do with the new Secretary of Ag to be helpful, uh, to be engaged and involved in that. Okay, well, thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Okay, thank All you, right. Bruce Rastetter, again the CEO and founder of Summit Ag Group. I'm Mike McGinnis for Successful Farming. Thanks, Mike. I uh, hope you enjoyed that discussion between Mike McGinnis and Bruce Rastetter. Like I said at the top of the podcast, if you want to get in touch with us and um, give us your feedback about what you thought about this show or other shows, or if you have ideas of topics we should cover, let us know. You can send us an email to podcast at agriculture.com. You can also check out previous episodes and get more information by visiting agriculture.com slash radio. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.